0: I just remember when, when I first started on Instagram, consuming all of that content did feel like porn to me, like all of everybody else's content. I've fed on it, you know what I mean? It was so powerful to be able to see all of these bodies, all of these experiences that in so, in so many ways spoke to mine and learning so many things and just being able to see what I had never grown up seeing. Hello. I'm
1: Nia Patterson, and welcome to episode three of Body Trauma. Today we are going to be talking with Claire, also known as Recovery Brain Food, on Instagram. She is a funny, eloquent millennial who is great at interior design and talking about recovery and body image. Claire writes on Instagram at Recovery Brain Food, and I personally miss her daily in the recovery community. But before we get started, I want to put a warning that this conversation is not censored and can include potentially triggering material. We also don't censor for cursing, but we will bleep out any numbers regarding weight or exercise activity. If at any time you feel yourself triggered or profoundly upset, please stop listening and take care of you and your mental health. That's honestly what's most important. If you're new here, we listen to people tell the story of their bodies. This might include discrimination based on race, gender, size, sexuality, et cetera, and also the different traumas people have experienced in their body, including mental and physical health, eating disorders, body image, sexual assault, gender transition, and more. I'm really excited to go speak with Claire, so here we go. Hello everyone, I have Claire here with me today, and it's so great to have you here today.
0: Hey guys, or hey, not guys. I guess just you. I'm saying guys like the whole viewership community. Whoops. They can can hear you. I already already made a mistake. They can hear you. It's all good. It's good. Don't don't filter anything out. I want like a raw, uncut experience for the for the viewers. You know. I think that'd be best. Appreciate
1: you. I appreciate you. So Claire, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. Uh I'm Claire. <laughs> I am uh 28 years old. I feel like it's like miscongeniality, you know, when they like, get <laughs> up on the stage. Uh let's see, I live in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I used to, slash maybe someday will, uh, I used to run the Instagram account called Recovery Brain Food, um, which covered a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, but mostly my recovery process through uh kind of a hybrid of eating disorders, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, anxiety and dealing with family and all sorts of <laughs> childhood trauma stuff. And just kind of honestly fit, just figuring out life as I was going through the process of recovery. Um, and I was pretty heavily active, I would say for a good handful of years, um, but took a break upwards of a year ago now, I think, mm-hmm. I don't know, I've definitely been offline for at least a, a good chunk of months. Um, And I think for a lot of reasons, I don't know. I never like made the conscious choice to be like, oh, I'm going to stop and that's it. Um, I think I just hit this like point. I don't know if you relate to this at all, but like, I just got like recovery fatigue, not like fatigue with the like process of recovery or being in recovery, but like the talking about it, I think like for me, I don't know. I I think there was something at at least about my own personal relationship to, to Instagram and writing about this stuff and talking about this stuff all the time where, um, I, I guess I sort of burned out on it a little bit, but also I guess I felt like there was kind of this like discrepancy between like what I was thinking and saying online and versus what I was experiencing in my real life. Mm -hmm. Um, and not necessarily that I was like really struggling with recovery in real life, but it just, it, I guess it was hard to tell the difference between what was like performance almost and what was like actually my real experience. Um, because I felt like the stuff I was talking about online and on Instagram were things that like, I very much wanted to be true about myself and my experience and what I was thinking and feeling. And it was almost like, Oh, if I say this enough times, maybe this will actually, (laughs) maybe this will actually be, you know what I mean? Um, And I think I just needed space to just be like, I need to actually like kind of sort my life out (laughs) outside of this. um, And just kind of let everything sink in. I, cause I had started this, I had started the Instagram thing like, right as I entered recovery. Um, So I never really had time to just kind of, like, figure out my, like, life alone, like, in silence, you know what I mean? Without all the excess noise and... I did, too. uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I remember that. Yeah, and I think in the beginning it was like so empowering because I felt so isolated in my recovery. Like I didn't have like a strong support system or people in my life I could talk to about it in the beginning. And it's not even necessarily that like I have that now. Um, but I think, I think it just got to the point where I was like, if I really just want a, a shot at closing this chapter a little bit. Um, I don't really know if you ever really close a chapter on your eating disorder. I think you kind of live with it forever to a certain extent, but um, I just wanted to, I wanted to see if I could kind of like build a life outside of it because I felt like I was almost like getting a little trapped in the constant thinking and analyzing of it. Um, And I wanted to kind of, I'm trying to think about the best way to put this. I felt like, I, I guess for those few years that I was super active, I felt like my life was kind of becoming defined by this thing and like what I was doing and what I was talking about. And um, I wanted to just <clears throat> not, I guess for a while and just kind of um, just kind of like get some peace from it, I guess.
1: Um, I can relate to that. I can relate yeah, to
0: that. Yeah. In one way. Like I just feel
1: I feel like I was in, like, a much better place in my recovery when I was living in California. Mm. And at that point, like, my posts were, like, very different. And then I moved to Nebraska. And as much as I wanted to be, like, a seamless transition, and I was, like, relatively prepared for it. And I knew that, like, depression was, like, on the rise. Like, Mm. I still, like, tumbled and fell and, like, right back into my eating disorder, right back into relapse. and it's been sort of like a whole different fight since then because it was almost like restriction was the battle like in California beginning in Nebraska and now it's binge eating and Mm. like talking about it all the time is like exhausting, but like, I feel like the place where like I could have progressed and then stepped back was it never kind of came to fruition because I sort of mm. just relapsed. So I needed like that accountability, but like at the same time, it's hard, like putting everything online and getting like so much, like just hate messages.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, don't miss any of that.
1: I One of the I'll
0: things that, that just like
1: makes me not want to be on there is the hate messages. Like, yeah. And the more you post, the more messages you get. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, I uh, I remember that that vividly. Um, yeah, the online world is just such a like dumpster fire of shit. I mean, no. <laughs> like, to, 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 to put it poetically, <laughs> like it really is. I mean, it's 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 such a I don't even know is paradox the right word. I'm probably butchering the the meaning of the word paradox, but it's like or a dichotomy. Maybe that's better. Where it's like on the one hand it's I understand the value of it as like such a powerful like powerful empowering um like place for connection you know where you can find people that share your experience and bond with them and um support each other and I, especially in the early days, I definitely felt that you know, and I think that mm-hmm. that to this day is is always the thing that if if I do come back will be the reason why I do is because you know, you talk to people, you have a bad day, you talk about what you're feeling, you talk about something that you've been sitting on or thoughts that have been kind of like swimming around in your brain. And one, I think what's super therapeutic about the online space is it gives you a way to like crystallize those feelings or kind of like give life to things that you haven't articulated before. So I right. I, I remember at least like, when I would do stories or write posts or whatever, I would have these moments, like these like moments of clarity or like Eureka where you'd be like, that's it. That's exactly what I'm feeling. And then being able to kind of like stamp it and be like, that's what it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it confirmed. was, relaxing, yeah, confirmed. Right. And then having people be like, that's exactly how I feel too. You know, it's like, oh, fuck yeah. You know, and, yep. um, and like, I'm not alone. Can, yeah, you're not alone. It validates your experience. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a very, it can be a very comforting place. I think on the other hand, obviously, you have to be like be prepared for the backlash and the trolling and just people in your fucking business, which in some ways, it's like, how can I complain because I had this page and it's public, so you it invites that, right? But, like I basically asked for it, is right, what I but told not, myself. Which is horrible, though, because you don't ask for abuse, and that's what it is. Don't. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just, I mean, it, that's why I say it's a dumpster fire, because... Uh, you know, the internet giveth and the internet hath taketh away. (laughs) People get like real brave talking through their thumbs. (laughs) Yes. No, it's, it's, it's completely true. Right. I mean, there's like the, you know, it's like an anonymous medium. People would say things that they'd never say to you in real life. And um, that can be a very isolating (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and upsetting experience. I also, I also feel like this is sort of, I think one of the reasons that, kind of pushed me to take a break, too, was sometimes I I think I definitely got to the point where, <sighs> I don't know, like, one of the ways in which, like, there there was a bunch of years, I think, early on in my recovery where, like, I was in recovery, but I wasn't really recovering. Like, even if I wasn't kind of, like, engaging in my eating disorder through, like, eating behaviors, the, like, underlying problems underneath my eating disorder were not really being solved, you know? And so I was kind of replacing, like, one- call it bad coping mechanism with another, you know, and in some ways Instagram kind of did become like a negative coping (laughs) mechanism, even though it started as a really positive one. I feel like I went to it every single time I was uncomfortable or anxious, you know, like I, it, it, because Like instead of reaching
1: for food, you were reaching for social media.
0: Yes, literally. That's exactly what it was. (laughs) Like you you said it perfectly. That's exactly what it was. You know, it was like that I I'm like floored. That's literally exactly what I experienced. (laughs) Just, you got it you got it <laughs> no, that's literally it like stamp confirmed. that's what it was it re- it's really true like it, I, I it was like impossible for me to just like sit inside my life you know what I mean if I was like if I wasn't getting the validation somehow you know that what I that what I was feeling was helpful to others that, that other people it was resonating with other people like it just felt like it was all for nothing um and yeah, I mean, it really was that. I think in the same way that food is comforting, and the constant like social was kind of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of became this experience of like, if you do this and you don't share it or you don't talk about it, is it d- did it happen? You know what I it mean? Like, happen. It happen? No, you know what I mean? Like, no. Like, if it's not, not on the, on the, the gram, did it, did it happen? A, well, yeah, especially in recovery, right? Like, uh, you know, there's all these this, these common recovery milestones that people experience and. Um, these like revelations and revolutionary streams of thought that you have. And um, because so many of us like share them publicly, because like the eating disorder community is so active online to see people sharing those milestones. And then if you don't share them, it, it, I, at least me, I, I felt like if I didn't share it in some way, it like, it didn't, it wasn't going to stick almost like, and that was sort of my way of being like, Oh, well then this happened and this sticks and it means that I'm making progress um, I and I don't that. really know if I wasn't if I was really making progress. Does that make sense? I can see that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, let's bring it back. Sure, let's bring it
0: back. <laughs> what do you mean? You mean I went on a segue? Let's reel it in. What do you mean? I'm bad at staying on topic. It's all good. <laughs> all right. So
1: I'm gonna ask you, what has life been like in your body?
0: Ooh, just start with the easy stuff. Why don't you? Oh, I did. Um, <laughs> I did.
1: This was the hard part. It came after.
0: <laughs> what has life been like in my body? Uh it's been a journey. <laughs> uh I would in some ways I kind of feel like this body of mine has lived through nine different lives. Um You're a cat. I'm a cat. Yeah, I'll take that. Um, no, it's I think like anybody's experience with their body. It's been complicated and painful (laughs) and um, constantly changing. I would say it that way. Um, I would say that right now I'm in probably like the most peaceful state I've been with my body. Does it mean that I like am in love with myself um, by any stretch of the imagination? But uh, I would say that I'm probably in a place where I think about my body less than I ever have. Whereas for the majority of my life, I would say that how I felt about my body and my awareness of my body dictated every single thing that I did and permeated every single thought that I had. I felt like I was all of my actions and relationships and decisions pivoted off of my awareness that my body was unwanted or unworthy. Um, and thankfully, I don't know if that's like a power to the testament of like, or testament to the power of recovery or whatever. It feels like that has lessened finally for the first time. Um, but it took a really long time. I mean, I think, you know, I think part of like my journey that like has to kind of be said is like, I've, I've been, I've been kind of all over the spectrum with weight. Like I grew up right, definitely in a fat body, like from when I was a child all the way through college, uh, and then lost, like an enormous amount of weight through my eating disorder, um, right after college. And so part of, what was that like? Oh, super fun. (laughs) Wasn't it just great? You didn't have a great time. I had a great fucking time. Let's do it again. Uh, (laughs) Uh, well, you know, I think, I think that it's interesting, like now kind of looking back and not having talked about this for a while, for a while, I, I get to kind of come back to it and look at it with like fresh eyes. But, um, it's weird, I remember when when I first started the Instagram thing uh, and I was living in a thin body um because it was right after I had lost all this weight, and it was the first time I was coming to terms with the fact that I had done so in like an insanely unhealthy toxic way. Um, a lot of the process was kind of understanding like and kind of accepting and just appreciating the like trauma of fatness which. Mm-hmm. I hate that phrase because I hate that being fat is like automatically a traumatic experience. You know, like I don't think that I don't, that's not my personal cultural belief, but when I say the trauma of fatness, I mean, the cultural response to fatness is traumatic. And because we're living in that culture, I don't know if it's possible to live with fatness in the culture that we live in and not experience trauma because of it. You know what I mean? I agree agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. And so it's, it's a, it was a really difficult concept to like figure out how to sit with of, okay, like politically, emotionally, I don't want to believe that fatness is bad. I want, like, I do believe in body diversity. I do believe it's okay to be any size and be happy at any size. But how do you reconcile that with the fact that one, the world's, absolutely does not agree you know and you have lived experience to know that the world does not agree you know and I think something that kept me in my eating disorder for so long was growing up fat was awful you know what I mean like it was it was awful you know like it was it was it's a it, it's painful to say that out loud because tell me about
1: that like what
0: like tell me
1: something from your childhood. <laughs> Oh boy. Let's get um, deep. Let's get let's, vulnerable you just, here. You want to dig
0: in there. You want to get let's vulnerable. Get vulnerable.
1: <laughs> Can't you tell him a future therapist?
0: <laughs> let, are, let, are me poke, let me poke all the painful parts. I love that. Are you, are you studying to be a therapist? That's what I want to do.
1: I'm going to go back uh, in a couple of years.
0: Oh, I love that. Oh, that's, uh, that's perfect for you. I love that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think, I think for me, eating was, you know i just it sucks like i i feel like such a cliche because i hate the idea that like fatness has to be born out of some sort of like childhood trauma you know what i mean um i don't like the idea that like whenever like people who grow up fat there's always this like well what what trauma did you endure to like end up that way you know And it's like not
1: even just childhood
0: it's like were you like sexually assaulted and like there's always like, a reason, right? Like, right. or the culture tries to position it as their reason because it makes, it makes, it's like, if you experience trauma and ended up fat, that still sucks, but at least culture will have more empathy for you than if you just made yourself that way.
1: Right. Like, and and then that like, I hate,
0: you know right, what I like mean? There's I this fat. idea
1: that like everyone is a thin person and like some people Rating just like- Waiting to be unleashed from the wrong. fat body. Yes,
0: right. 100%. Or, or the idea that if- you know, I hadn't experienced the things that I had, or gone through the traumatic things that I gone, I went through that I would have been thin. Right. Um, and and I mean, you know, I think even to this day, it's that that concept is so internalized. It's it's hard for me to even not hold resentments towards certain experiences I've had in my life. You know, like relationships yes. I've had with my parents, et cetera, Because there is this like impulse in me, even though I I know it comes from that internalized fat phobia. That's like you made me this way. I experienced this because of these shitty things that had happened. You know, mm-hmm. and. Um, there's actually no way of knowing, you know, what how what my body would have been, you know, had had I just had, like, a Brady Bunch white picket fence childhood. Oh, you know, I, hate case, but, I hate
1: that. I hate that. Like, when people say, like, well, what was your body like before your eating disorder? And I was nah. like, I've had eating disorder since I was nine. Like, mm. the body that I had when I was nine is clearly not the body that I would have as, like, a 27-year-old woman. Right. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I it's it's interesting. Like, I... There, There is a part of me that wonders what would have happened in, in like, my childhood had, like, people just left me the fuck alone mm-hmm. around food in particular. Like, I just, food was kind of made into this, like, evil around me. Like, um, I'll just give context because it's difficult to get into without. without. But basically, I, I grew up with my mom. My mom and I have, like, a really, really <laughs> deeply complicated relationship. Um uh, she like has problems with substance abuse and mental illness and all sorts of stuff. Um, and so I was like taken out of her custody when I was nine, um, and like lived with various family members for a couple of years until my dad got custody of me. Um, and I like grew up for the rest of, uh, middle school and high school with him. Uh, and then like went to college and, and got out of all that kind of stuff. But, um, amidst kind of like all that moving around and you know we, we went through like a really brutal 10 year long family court battle between my mom and my dad and you know they they have their own crazy toxic stuff and um but I remember like my body was kind of always this like topic for discussion of like look how much the child is suffering because like she wouldn't look like this if the parents weren't putting her through this terrible where was thing. that coming from who was saying that uh so my parents would use it against each other for sure oh, okay. uh, like in in like who should have custody of me uh as in like my dad was a bad parent because he let me eat whatever I want and look how fat the daughter like the, your daughter is getting being with you and my and on the mom side um you know a, a lot of the reasons for the the custody loss had to do with like neglect and and not being fed for <laughs> days at a clip and things like that. And so on my dad's side, it was, you know, she has this insane insatiability around food because you starved her, you know? And I mean, it's, it's a hyperbole. None of this is actually like fully right. true. it's not The actual story. Um, but it was sort of, it was used as this like, weapon almost uh my relationship to food and also to a large extent my body was this kind of so it like weapon wasn't that even yours no it wasn't like uh, you, you know, not get to like
1: own your own relationship with food or your body
0: yeah it was it was definitely like weaponized I think in, in a very specific way and I and I also think you know I I love my father deeply like we're we're super super close and our relationship has changed a lot since since I was a kid mm-hmm. but you know, he's deeply, as all parents are, all humans are also deeply flawed person. And I think when I was younger, he carried so much anger for what had happened with my mom and just sort of the custody situation and me. And, um, there was definitely this idea that my relationship to food was pathological or as a result of trauma, you know? And so, it almost like encouraged me to like make it worse. You know, I it was like, I had to live up to this prophecy kind of. Um, and I never, I mean, I just never really, I was never, I never had an environment where I was kind of just able to just like learn the way I wanted to eat or how to eat or eat normally. I'm putting that in massive air quotes cause I just hate that phrase so much. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was just like, there was always this like hysteria around eating um, that I was either eating too much or I was being starved, or I, I just could never get it right, and I never looked right, and it was always this yeah this this, this thing that always felt like it was it was sort of weaponized so uh yeah I, it was it was my, I always felt like my body was this symbol, i guess in some way of either like my mom 's failure as a mother or my dad 's failure as a father um, and to a certain extent like me like i I remember my dad who definitely has like his own issues with weight and relationship to his own body. Um, but you know, he, he's also someone who's like his weight has kind of been all over the map. And I remember him saying to me at a young age, like I, so other important context is like, I went to, I got a scholarship to like a very fancy all girls private school where everybody was white and very thin and very wealthy. And you know, I, I I I I went
1: to one of those too.
0: Oh, it's the best, right? Yeah, yeah. it's super yeah. nurturing, loving environment. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I remember being thrown in there. Like, it was like being literally thro- thrown into an ice bath. Like, it was just, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up, I mean, grew up super blue collar, no money and whatever. And I remember, like, just, like it's just like you're in another world. I'd never seen wealth like that. I had never seen just, like, the way people wear wealth. And I don't mean clothes. I mean, like, in the lifestyle, right? And it was so right. apparent to me overnight that, to be wealthy, to be smart, to be a woman meant very specific things, usually all having to wrap around thinness um, in some way. Thinness was always part of the equation. And yes. I remember my dad, You know, he was super keen on me going to the school from his perspective, you know, he's like, you know, blue collar Irish Catholic guy, not, you know, no one else in our family really wants to college. And, um, for him, I think like these types of schools were like the beacon of, of the American dream kind of, you know what I mean? Right. It was like in his way, it was like centered to the school. It means that I will have done something good as a father, as a parent, you know, give her good educational opportunities and give her the access that none of us other <laughs> she and family members ever really had. And, um, I remember having conversations with him early on in my experience at the school where in so many words, it was that working hard and getting the grades and going to the right college was like all part of it, but so was being thin, you know, that, that being thin and losing the weight was always what we've talked, called it in my family was losing the weight, um, would open up doors and opportunities. Um, and I remember my dad sharing that experience and being like, it is just different. Like I remember, like he would tell me, like I, like he remembered that when he was younger, you know, it was different for him. Sure, with dating, but you know, getting jobs and just he, the way he phrased it was, opportunities come to you that you can just never dream of, and I will never forget it because it stayed with me for so long that the one thing that was keeping me from this like mystical, magical life was my own body. Um, and I can it's, relate it's, to that. Yeah, and in some ways, well, what's what's like the painful part of the process, I think that I went through was when I eventually did lose a ton of weight because of the anorexia, like it, kind the model proved itself. You know what I mean? Like in, 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 in superficial ways, but in ways that were very intoxicating for somebody who had only experienced life on the other side. I think the, the experience of having like lost so much weight because of the anorexia later on in my life, um, it was unfortunate because it, it did, in superficial ways, but very meaningful and very intoxicating ways of what my dad had taught me um, to be true. You know, it was this experience overnight sensation of of being embraced by a culture that had historically hated me, you know, and it was like an overnight thing of being desired and belonging and Having access and being welcomed into spaces that would have never let me see the light of day before. Um, and it was the most powerful thing I've I've to this date I've ever experienced in terms of the intensity of the emotion. Um and it's it's something that I definitely still struggle with, I think, because it's I don't think that people who have not lived in a fat body or been fat, it's hard to understand like how how acute I think that pain can be of living in that in this type of culture in a fat body. It's very, very painful. And so or my experience of it was very, very painful, I should say. So um the experience of then being thin after that um was intoxicating because it felt like this overpowering gift, like I was getting the second chance that I was, that I somehow had like, I just remember when I was a kid, that was the dream, right? That I would like lose the weight as my family would call it. And then my life would start and then I would get all these opportunities and then I would be able to have the life that, that human beings deserve that I saw everybody else having that, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, so what
1: was it? what was it like to, like, I don't want to say, like, be a success story, but, like, mm. so many fat people with eating disorders don't lose the weight, like, yeah, and, like, is, I mean, regardless of whether or not they're restricting or not, like, they just don't, or, like, people even, like, with bulimia who are, like, oh, god, I'm not saying normal size, straight size,
0: straight, yeah, who don't
1: right. lose the weight, like, i I've never experienced losing a lot of weight and having people notice, Um, Mm. but I've heard that like when you are fat and you lose a lot of weight due to an eating disorder, like people see you as like a success story. Yeah. um, Like there's that before and after comparison and everything.
0: Well, I think that feeling, the insane cultural validation of being a success story is why the diet industry is as powerful as it is and the prevailing reasons why people stay in their eating disorders, you know? The diet Um, industry is built on before and after photos. It's built on my story. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's, I mean, it's a cliche for a reason, you know? And I think it's, but, but, so, but this is the problem is that like, it's not like I was the success story and then it stops. And this was the, this the this is the problem that I face. And it was so, so, so difficult for me to recover from this is that, You know, I lost all this weight, but then what? My body was not supposed to be that size. I was doing insanely awful things to stay there, and I was so sick. You know what I mean? I was so sick. Even when I stopped the the terrible toxic behaviors mentally, I was so sick, you know? And, like, the commitment and sickness I would have had to live with to stay that way would have been life-destroying. I mean, and it it got to the point where it was, you know? Exactly there's a short shelf life on that success story and that's what nobody tells you right like it's a magical
1: destination of like i will reach this weight i will finally be successful i will feel successful the world will be amazing and then i will i will
0: just eat normally and right. like maintain Right. I'll just maintain. There's always this concept of maintaining. It's hysterical. Um, no, I mean, that's that's exactly what nobody tells you, right? Is that, and I mean, it's also, I mean, you think about the people who, the process of losing that amount of weight, it doesn't just like happen because you go for a walk around the block. You know what I mean? Like everyone's right. like, oh, it was a lifestyle change. I changed my lifestyle and my body changed and my life changed. You know what I mean? And they make it sound <laughs> like it's as simple as like get up for every day and walk two miles and be done with it. Exactly. No. You know what I mean? I lost that amount of weight in, you know, a year's time. you know, because I lived in isolation. I didn't, I didn't go out. I didn't drink. I didn't have any friends. I lived in a box. Literally, I lived in, in like a windowless dorm room (laughs) and I, all I did was engage in my anorexia. You know what I mean? So of course, of course it worked, you know? And the only way to, if I wanted to maintain that body, that's what I would have had to do for the rest of my life, you know? And, um, I think it's, 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 it's one part, of course, biologically, your body just cannot sustain, right It it needs food right of course um but it's also the the cultural pressure to to stay that way right i think and that was sort of what i was trying to get at before about the kind of lived experience on the other side of it in terms of body size like the pressure when you know how painful or when i knew when my experience uh living in a larger body was so painful the terror of Mm. Regaining what I had lost was so painful. Like it was, it made it made the stakes of every single thing that I did, action I took, food I put into my mouth, like incredibly high stakes. Um I think that's interesting.
1: I, I think that's interesting because a lot of people, I don't want to say a lot of people, but many people with anorexia start at a socially acceptable body, lose weight down to a highly emaciated, underweight BMI. I hate BMI. Um, (laughs) body but like clinically underweight body and then there's still this fear of gaining weight but you but a lot of those people don't know like the truly horrifying lived experience of, of being actually fat. being
0: fat right exactly especially if you start out in, in a straight size body or a thin exactly. body and, a, and that's the common case that we tep- typically see with anorexia although I don't know if that's actually like the most common it's just what we see it's um, just what we see because you it's don't just what we see you,
1: like you see someone who loses x pounds in a year a large x and yeah. you're like oh they're a success story but like in all honesty they're like eating the muscle in their body and i oh it's usually it's usually anorexia like, the thing when you see that um things- i remember all the time is i'm bringing up gray's anatomy um there was a gray's <laughs> anatomy that. episode with this fat woman i'm pretty sure she was black and she had lost pounds more than pounds and she had like collapsed and mm-hmm. they were trying to figure out what was wrong with her and mm. someone was like, well, she's anorexic. And they were like, no, she's not. She's still fat. But right. like, she had lost all that weight and her heart muscle was like, gave out. Like, it was eaten away because of all the weight that she'd lost. And she was anorexic, but yeah.
0: nobody knew because she was fat. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's beyond the evils of this whole ridiculous industry and, and complex, right? Is that like the, the normalization of cultural anorexia is insane you know and it's and it's it's incredible to me to this day I mean it seems almost like cliche to talk about it now because at least like in in our like Instagram circles it's so over talked about but I would imagine like outside of it people like literally just still still believe this you know what I mean where it's Mm -hmm. like if people are fat it's their like cultural imperative to lose weight, no matter what the cost. You know what I mean? There is yes. no like if they, like, if they're fat, that's their health problem. Their fatness that's the problem is their fatness. And until right. they lose the fatness, they won't like nobody would ever will ever think twice about them, give them extra care, think about them more than than what they look like. And yes, it's in it's insane that somebody who is. Pounds could lose a pounds, and everybody would say, "You're incredible! Congratulations! You're a success story. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going." And somebody who's you know pounds and loses or loses whatever it is, right, and becomes underweight, um, you know, they'd be like, "Oh, we're we're so concerned, you know, like we just we just want you to be healthy. We just want you to eat. Why aren't you eating? Like, don't be afraid of gaining weight because your body will level out at a normal level." Correct. Correct. And, you know, I mean, uh, I, 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 I was never, I mean, I was never emaciated. You know what I mean? I, I remember at my lowest going to the doctor and I was still at like the high, I think the lowest I ever was, was like the highest for my, for the normal eight, eight, like weight range, whatever in the BMI, whatever the fuck BMI is oh, like okay. first and doesn't work. But I was like at the highest range for the normal range, you know? And I remember telling the doctor that I had like lost this like magical number of weight uh and then obviously like falling at my feet in incredulousness or is incredulousness a word or is it the other one I always forget we're just gonna go with that I like that word though me too um you know but it was this like celebration in the doctor's office that I had lost that much weight and then they would say to me yeah you're fine just don't lose another pounds, like more than another like and so it was this concept of keep going you know, because because I wasn't emaciated. And at this point, I had lost my period. I had my period for, you know, upwards of a year and a half. Like, I mean, really, it was like, it was insane. All the signs were there. I was bruising. My hair was falling out. All this shit. And they, it was like, keep it was, it was keep going. And it's, it's, you know, my story is not even as, like, you know, it's not even as horrifying as I've heard from other people who ended up with anorexia in, in bodies that were bigger than mine at the time. You know, it's like, you, you get no validation or support in your experience and um it's it's just it's horrifying truly like i've never been
1: diagnosed with anorexia but like after i moved to nebraska i moved in may like it i think it's literally been like uh like two years uh, like the day that i left for uh, left california but that fall i like lost my period because Mm -hmm. i was restricting but at first I didn't realize that's what it was because I've already had like irregular periods anyways, but my period didn't come for like over six months. And mm. like, I just, just kind of wrote it off yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because like, no one was saying like, you're restricting to a point that like, you need help. Um, even though I was like seeing a dietitian and a therapist, but like, I wasn't restricting that much. And like, if your body can freak out over restricting like quote unquote not that much like it doesn't have a chance
0: it's just it's just it's it's wild how not even normalized like sanctioned and supported and encouraged restriction is and there's just no still like there's nobody there's no understanding around like how deeply hurtful restriction is to your body even on quote, yes. small not that much levels on yes. an emotional level forget it I mean emotional restriction is like way I mean it's not I mean physical and emotional restriction are, are hand in hand but like you know it's like that. that I think that was one of the things I always I always encountered when I like because part of the recovery process from anorexia was going on the other end of the spectrum to, to binge eating. Um, Right. Took me a long time to understand that that was a response to the restriction and whatever. But uh, even if I felt like I wasn't physically restricting my food calorically or or counting or whatever it was, like the emotional restriction around food was still so powerful. There were certain foods I could eat and that I couldn't eat. And the self-flagellation by eating certain things or not eating certain things or getting off track or, you know, whatever it was, was just like, exhausting you know it's just it was and I and I think I would honestly make the case that like most human beings because of the culture that we live in live with a certain degree of emotional restriction around food I don't right. think that it's I've honestly like yeah. never I've personally never met someone who has like a totally quote-unquote normal relationship with food everybody has their hang-ups everybody has their shit because how could you not you live in a culture and I think, fatness,
1: you know like even if you don't have like food rules that you follow yourself I think you are still capable of like taking a piece of paper and writing down a list of like good and bad foods.
0: Yes. hundred percent. There are, there's all these concepts around like what, what makes a good eater versus a bad eater. Yes. When, we, when the site, when we know that the science tells us that like those things are built on a whole lot of nothing. <laughs> it's true. It's yeah. true. <laughs> you know, so
1: I guess, like, where are you now with your body?
0: Hmm. Well, I don't know if I could ever say, I don't know if I'll ever get to the place where I can say that, like, I'm wholly recovered. I don't know if I like subscribe to being fully recovered. I think that's like a common debate. Like, can you be fully recovered? Do you live with oh. your eating disorder to a certain extent for the rest of your life? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I don't know if there's a right answer. You know, I think it's just sort of like what your experience is. Um, I will say that, and and I do owe this, I think, in part to taking a break from Instagram and getting some space with it. I won't say that my relationship with food is healed or feels normal because I don't know what that looks like with when you have such a like dirty history with food and weight and whatever. Um, but I would say that For the first time in my life, whether super thin or in a fat body, like I probably I can go through the day without thinking about my body or and food, uh, unprecedentedly, unprecedentedly more than ever before. Um, I can eat meals out without guilt and fear and shame, Um, and in some ways, like I've I've started to find the joy and food in ways that I hadn't before. Um, and I don't, I, I wish I could like pinpoint that to some sort of like switch and recovery. I honestly think some of it is this time, um, and letting things just kind of sink in, um, and also kind of removing myself from a lot of the stressful environments that I think were keeping me sick. Um, so I think that's all part of it. Um, but it's, I mean, Yeah, of course, I always live with certain fears and anxieties. And I think I always will be, you know, like, I I think, I don't know how you escape that, you know, I used to think that I, I think a lot of it is dependent on your support system and the people that you have in your life that can, like, support you through the process, although, I, you know, I don't even know, because to be honest, I'm not really somebody who, like, is super open in my, like, actual, like, real personal life about my experiences, even though, like, I have this, like, openness on Instagram, like, I think one of the things I struggled with was being so open on Instagram and, like, sharing my whole fucking life out there, mm-hmm. and then in my real life, like, just not able to engage with it at all, like, I could just, I could, it would, it would take me, like, months, if not years, to tell people about my experience. I experienced this all the time with dating where it's like I just couldn't tell people about myself. You know, it's just like it was I was just too scared to like engage. I get
1: that. Like I'm you know fine I mean? telling people who are like on my level, like, like even like my coworkers, I tell my coworkers, but like, ooh, like if I went on a date telling someone that I had an eating disorder, like I feel like when you tell someone you have an eating disorder and you're in a fat body, it just like hits so differently than being like really thin and saying you have an eating disorder and then it's like oh well I'm so glad that you're like eating now and like mm-hmm. no one's gonna tell the fat girl like I'm so glad you're eating now like yeah, yeah. I don't no, know I, I couldn't do it
0: no I, I I I hear that I hear that so fucking hard like I I, th- I think it's also that like I don't know to be honest I, I I think I've just experienced like the feeling of being vulnerable and open up, opening up to somebody in like a really (laughs) personal way. And when you get the response of like, I don't know how to respond to that, you know what I mean? Or, or like they don't engage with you on it or they don't know how to be supportive. It is so isolating. Um, And I think I experienced that on such a large level growing up. Um, that it's, it is something that I carry, like, it, it's, it has scared me away from, like, being able to open up, because I feel, like, I think, I think it just happens, like, when you're, like, when you grow up with families that just, you go, like, you're just kind of, like, ignore, you know, I don't want to say like, I was ignored throughout my whole childhood, you know what I mean, but, like, I think I, I grew up in an environment, you know, my dad is a bootstrapper, he's a strong, silent type, you know, he didn't really have time for, like, me and my emotions, you know, mm-hmm. and so there is a shutdown that happened anytime that I was not, at like the highest level of happiness, you know? And so particularly around this stuff, it it just, it feels like I don't want to even go there because I don't want to be disappointed. You know what I mean?
1: Right, right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel you. But yeah, I don't know. All this is to say like, I think, I. I mean, I'm definitely acutely aware or as acutely aware as I can be that like, being able to recover or make progress in recovery like is a privilege you know like I think yes it is like you know what I mean like I don't I think that all this conversation about like having support having a support system being able to remove myself from toxic environments get away from toxic people like set like you know live in my own apartment all these types of things are indicative of of privileges that I have you know like we are both
1: privileged in those ways
0: yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's like I, I have a space where I can come home to and be alone and and dictate my own life in the way that I want to live it. You know, and that's like yes. it comes with its own difficulties or whatever. But like that's a privilege that most people absolutely do not have. You know, and so it's it's and I I, I think it also like makes me sort of has made me reluctant about Instagram too because. I don't know if people, like, need to hear – those. Aren't, I don't know if that's a story that people need to hear. I think that people need to hear stories about, like, that give them hope and optimism about recovering. But I think that those stories of hope need to come from people who, like, are really, really, like, fighting against the odds. You know, I, I, I didn't have a lot of odds stacked against me, I guess. That's sort of – I don't know. I don't mean to, like, diminish my own experience, but you know what I mean? Like, I, Let like, me ask
1: what? you, because I think about this from time to time.
0: When hmm. I first
1: came on Instagram, it was, like, 2016. And then I got out of treatment summer of 2017. And I feel like you, me, several eating disorder recovery accounts were very much, like, active at that hmm. point. Yeah, And I feel like at that point there was a lot of, like, collaboration and there was a lot of, like, inspiration and, like, unique thoughts and mm. sharing thoughts. There was a lot of problematic shit, too. For But, sure. like... <laughs> For
0: sure. <laughs> not
1: everyone was, like... Like, not... Like, when people spoke about their experience, there wasn't this, like, very quick, like, diminishing of our experiences or, like, giving caveats to say, like, but I know, like, I'm privileged and... Like, I almost wonder if that, like, I don't want to say policing, but, like, censorship of, like, people's stories and, like, their creation and content, like, is that harmful or is it, like, beneficial?
0: Oof. Um, I mean, I think, I, I like, I think it's a, it's a, it's a conversation that, like, requires nuance and I don't, I don't know if there's, like, a right answer to that either. I also definitely don't think I'm the one who should answer it. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, in some ways, I mean, I, I remember, like, what you're talking about. I think, like, there was a a time, call it, like, the glory days of Instagram, right? And I say that facetiously, like, you know, not, like, I say that, like, ironically, because it was a time sort of um, before anybody, like, I think, introduced any sort of, like, intersectional questioning of like body positivity you know what I mean I think it was like well there
1: was still the I think body positivity had been like recently watered down let's put it that way yeah
0: 100% (laughs) and and so I I, and I think I think that there was this like energy around it in the beginning where most people at least in in my in my from my view um and I'm like a white woman so I know I have like a very (laughs) like rose colored glasses view of what that was but um that was the first time like I had encountered any of those concepts for the first time Um, and I, and I remember feeling that energy, like through the internet kind of, that these, like it was a movement that started really small, but then gained momentum very, very quickly. Right. Um, and I think that part of what happened, one, a thousand percent necessary, right? Like I think that it was, it was something that because it became so dominated by whiteness and by the experience of a very specific body type, um, it kind of watered itself down, you know, like, and I, and I, so I don't know. I, I, I understand what you're saying about like the, the caveating and like diminishing your own experience, I guess. But I think of course, I believe that, like, everybody's story has value. Everybody's, like, voice deserves to be heard. Right. and I agree with you. Stuff. I believe that. You know what I mean? I believe that, like, you don't, like, I don't think it needs to be, like, a battle of who had the most traumatic experience. You know what I mean? Like, people no, can, and, I agree. And, and, you know, but I, but I, but when I think about something like body positivity, I don't even know what that means anymore, you know? <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> you know? But, like, I, I do definitely agree as, like, the bystander. Um that it does matter which stories i think are foregrounded i think um like i think the problem is
1: like at least like i want to say almost like before insta stories were a thing like <laughs> yeah. you really just had your grid to post on and yeah. so if you wanted to like recognize someone else as like a larger account you could post their photo or repost their photo to your grid and there was just so much more visibility and so much mm-hmm. more like this is a person of color that I think is doing great work. You should follow them. Mm. People were like more inclined to go like take that actionable step as opposed to just throwing up a post in your stories, one of like 10 Mm. and it's just like content to be consumed quickly and not acted upon if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think that one of the things that I think I observed, um, was people are really scared to engage critically around intersectionality and like some of the more like complicated nuances of body positivity and it scared a lot of people off and that's un- really unfortunate um and I'm not I'm not saying that from a righteous place of like I was ready to engage you know I mean? no, I'm <laughs> like, ready. <laughs> yeah no you know what I mean like I I, I think that there was this like hesitancy especially among white women and I think that's a good thing to be honest like I think I would rather there be hesitancy and people thinking twice about like what they're posting I had to do that too you know what I mean like I I've posted problematic as fuck shit in my day you know I don't even know that it's problematic until somebody points it out to you you know but I I think that that's sort of the thing is that once that's pointed out like I actually think it's a good thing to like take a moment to, like, take stock and be, like, is it really my time to speak? Like, maybe we – I don't have to have an answer about, like, where my voice is or, like, you know what I mean right now. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it, maybe it is just time to, like, take a step back and, like, just let people speak about their experiences that they're not – that they haven't historically been allowed to talk about. Like, maybe I don't have to give my opinion. Maybe I don't have to talk just to be heard, you know? Um, so – I don't know. I, I think it's definitely a different space now. Than it's it,
1: definitely a different space. I think that yeah. the same thing that I think what has carried over is that women of color, men of color too, um, and fat people just, they can't get the recognition on their accounts. And mm. it's so hard to like grow your account to a bigger account as a marginalized person because Mm. everyone is wanting to follow the watered down BOPO influencers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And do you, do you feel like it was, it it was different before? Eh,
1: Good question. Good question. (laughs) I think there was more of like larger accounts sharing smaller accounts and therefore, driving traffic to them than there is now.
0: Interesting. And do do you feel so? I guess my question is like, do you do you feel like that stopped because people have more awareness around like what's actually celebrating and uplifting somebody's voice versus like what's tokenizing them?
1: Honestly, I'm I'm wondering if it's more a change in the way that content on Instagram works.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because at the end of the day, like we we, I feel like I never talk about this, but it's like inst- like we like Instagram is not just like this like open whatever like it's a fucking like digital platform that is there to steal our shit and like control our minds. You know what I mean? You're not, so wrong. Like, You're not you know, wrong. You're but not wrong. You're not wrong. But it is interesting, like how like the honestly even like the the platform changes in Instagram. Like as Instagram has changed, it's like fundamental like digital structure. Uh, how like communities, eating disorder community, body body positive community. Any of those take your pick, like have changed because of that. Like, I, yes. yeah, in the introduction of stories, changed things. The like hashtag culture became different. Like, you know, the way you found people changed. Like, Instagram lives changed the game, you know, what I mean? and not necessarily yes. the better. You know, like I'm not, I don't think that these things necessarily made things better. I think that it actually, I, I, I agree with what you're saying that a lot of the changes that have happened, the space is so different than it was. Um, And it's unfortunate, I don't, instead of, you know, there being, like, I think there was a time when I, when a lot of these issues were coming up, and people were really starting to have conversations around them, where it was a tough space, but at least, like, there was so much, like, learning happening, Um, and it wasn't always, like, super fun, you know what I mean? Like, it was definitely, like, there was a lot of, like, emotions were high, tensions were high, but, like, it was, it felt very meaningful, you know what I mean? Like, even if, like... I or, or somebody else was like under the gun for something problematic. It was like, at least we were like growing, <laughs> you know, at, like not following. I mean, like, you know, mentally, spiritually, whatever. Right. And yes. It, it does not that I'm not as involved now, but whenever I peek around, it does seem like there's less of that. Like that instead of engaging around things, it seems like everyone just like stopped. <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah. bit. And it seems like a lot of people's
1: content isn't like, I don't want to say like, as enriching as it used to be but yeah. like Prototype. it doesn't like challenge me as much or yeah. make me think as much mm.
0: yeah I remember god it, it brings me back to like the early days of Instagram like when like when I was just finding other accounts and I remember reading some some of these people's captions and just like my whole world being overturned you know shooketh. like this shooketh genuinely shooketh you know <laughs> like it was it literally like it was just there I I totally know what you mean. Like there was this time when like <laughs> it's gonna sound so stupid to viewers who are like, fuck these Instagram people, like get a, job. <laughs> you know, get but a I just, job. Get a job. But like I remember like there was something so therapeutic about the time that I would set aside every day to like write an Instagram caption. Truly, it was like a girl, yes. right? i will go back and read my captions and they were they are so different from now well it's it's wild but i but i actually that was one of the things that i like loved about instagram was it like gave me this medium to like write and like be creative and like use my brand in that way you know and it's it's something i like i miss that so much i miss the the writing aspect of it and um just sometimes i miss like um like simplified
1: Instagram for me. Like Mm -hmm. like when I look back at my posts, like I remember like being in treatment and my posts were literally like posting six times a day every meal (laughs) and snack that I ate and then my feelings around it. Like just like the simplicity to just like not have to say something. But I feel like now like if I'm going to post like people are listening and I have to like say something and it has to be poignant
0: a lot of pressure
1: <laughs> it is a lot of pressure a lot <laughs> why of do you think so- i don't
0: post <laughs> no dude i hear you i mean hello that's why you know why part of the reason why i had to dip too i think that you know you're not like an undying reserve of like people's emotional support system you know like and i think I think it's also just like a lot of internal pressure to feel like every day you have to have some sort of like life altering revelation. You don't, you can just live, you can just, you know, have a bad day without having to like get a learning or a takeaway from it. You know, you don't always have to package your like bad day or good day into poetry. You know what I mean? And I think like, it's a beautiful thing about Instagram that it gives you that, but it also like when, when you get the validation from it, um, it's very hard to create boundaries around it. And it can, I think it can really, really burn you out
1: yes i would agree yeah i would agree yeah well i mean <laughs> we have now gone on instagram 101 with claire and nia <laughs>
0: i know not not where i was expecting it to go but hey a recap of <laughs> if mark zuckerberg wants our take <laughs> he can contact us anytime <laughs> a
1: recap of the late decade years on instagram
0: <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
1: All right, so I mean, I guess we've kind of talked about this already, Sure. but you do work, well, you used to do work on Instagram, um, sort of in the recovery space, I guess. I mean, my question would be, how was your body trauma and traumatic experiences in your life and just discrimination and privilege, all of that, gone into what you've presented to the world, or I guess not presented it uh, lately.
0: Hmm. Um, I think that I, when I was active on Instagram, I think I always approached it as a place to like tease all of those things out. I think that, and this was like the good and bad of Instagram was that I had never, when I started really processed any of the stuff that I had like gone through. And so I did that processing through the internet (laughs) which uh looking back I like I have mixed feelings about having done um I think that it's interesting like when I when I see other people share themselves so openly and candidly and share their stories and kind of bear everything out to the world I have nothing but respect for their choice to do so as someone who used to make that choice. Like I, I think it is brave and beautiful and necessary. Like, I think that especially when you grow up isolated and feeling like you don't have anybody and Mm -hmm. your experience is understood or seen. And then for the first time ever you get that, how dare anybody say that you should take that away from yourself or that somebody can take it away from you. You know? Um, I think that, Something that I personally experience with sharing that much is while it gave me a way to kind of acknowledge that I did go through certain things and it made it a little bit real, um, it was an odd experience having shared all those things with so many people, but never having healed them in my real life. interesting so like you know being able to share things about my relationship with my mom and addiction and mental illness um and process those things so publicly um but not having dealt with them in my real life if that makes sense um yeah that that was something that was that it continues to this day to be difficult um and I think it it also kind of there was a long time and I'm still going through this relationships for me are hard. I don't just mean romantically, like just all relationships. Like I yeah, think, I, agree. I think when, you know, like I think when you kind of open Pandora's box on being so candid online, it changes how you're able to relate with other people. And you'd think that it would make you like more able to talk to people in real life, but it actually had the opposite effect for me. Um, it, it, like, honestly made me clam up in a lot of ways. I felt like I had this fluency in being able to talk online and that, like, I, I didn't have language anymore offline. It was very strange. Um, so I would love to find, like, a happy medium for those things. Um, I, also, I also think that there are certain things I wish I had kept private, um, partly because I think that it was just so powerful to – again, be validated in my experience and find other people who had experienced the same things that I didn't think through things that I would have want to have kept mine. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's odd, you know, it's odd. It's odd not feeling like much of my life experience is really like my own. It's so public, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that there are pros and cons, you know um I don't I feel like i I answered this question in a, a very tangential way I don't know if that was what you're get, you were getting at <laughs> I
1: was I was Sorry.
0: like answering this question
1: in my head and I was thinking one thing that's kind of weird for me is like like putting my body out there like physically like mm. in pictures and like you did that too mm-hmm. um and me, like, not being okay with my body and thinking that it's bad, but, like, when I do post a picture of my body with, like, even if it's, like, in just, like, a kind of okay caption, like, boom, 500 likes, you know, mm. like, or, like, a thousand likes, and, like, people, like, almost validating that, like, my body is something that they want to see, mm-hmm. which is just weird because, like, in my mind, like, I'm not, like, attractive, but, like, whenever I post my body, I get so many more likes than, like, if I post my dinner.
0: Mm. Almost, like, like, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but just, uh, I just reminded me of sort of how it felt for me, too, like, um, that, like, a body that, like, gives you so much pain can serve at least a higher purpose <laughs> Do you know what kind i mean of, like kind yeah. of and like, it's kind you know of weird doing something for somebody else yeah yeah
1: right like i like like very young like in freshman year in high school i sort of like i already knew the male gaze and i already knew mm. that men like women for their bodies mm-hmm. we'll say their brains too but Mainly, it's their bodies. Where where are uh, those men? <laughs> can't find them. <laughs> but I grew up knowing that, like, my body was like attractive to older men, and that, like, I mm. had the good boobs, I had the good butt, <laughs> I could overlook my stomach because at that point it wasn't like hanging. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Like, my body was, like, for someone else, and it was, like, to play a role in, like, attracting a man, Mm. and now it's, like, Mm. playing a role in, like, attracting Instagram likes. Like, Mm. I don't know. I just thought about that, and it feels like it kind of just, like, came around in a circle.
0: (laughs) Well, in some ways, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, though, because in some ways, like the Instagram, Instagram is its own gaze. You know what I mean? And it's somewhat different from the male gaze because a lot of the women, the people that are looking at you are are skew female probably, but like, it's a similar, I think, concept, right? Like the idea that you're almost like porn for somebody else. Like I, cause I I remember when I uh, started doing that, it was such a powerful feeling that like a body that like, I had so much self loathing around that I had never gotten positive feedback about. Right, like it had always always been this like sight of disgust, both in myself and the other people who encountered my body, to then put it out into the world. And one, like, sure, have people be like, "No, you're beautiful, no matter what." Okay, fine, but like, have know that? I, I just remember when when I first started on Instagram consuming all of that content did feel like porn to me like all of everybody else's content I've fed on it yes. you know what I mean it was so powerful to be able to see all of these bodies all of these experiences that in so in so many ways spoke to mine and learning so many things and just being able to see what I had never grown up seeing you know mm-hmm. and I think being able to like contribute to that pornography I know pornography is like such a dirty word I don't mean to like dirty the experience I don't mean it that way I just I just mean it as I know what you're talking about the experience I think of feeling consumed you know like I think it's very close to being desired in through the male gaze and being desired by men it's very powerful it's very powerful to think that like somebody needs your content you know and I don't like I don't think that that's that stupid I think it's like a quite human psychological reaction you Mm -hmm. know like you especially like when you grow up in a body that the world doesn't want to engage with to then have the experience of like, people want to consume me. That's very powerful, you know? Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. I agree.
0: Yeah. I agree. My, those are my two
1: cents. <laughs> I was just like thinking while you were talking, I was like, Oh, I miss Claire's post.
0: Oh, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> dude. I would love to get back to it. It's just, I, I think it's like, you, I get scared, you know, like every time, every now and again, I'll like go and like look around and be like, what's, good what is everybody up to Um, but it's just, I don't, it's like, yeah, so much time has fast. I, don't, I like did a story maybe like four weeks ago. I was bored and I watched I just was there. On. Yeah. And I was sort of like, oh, maybe I'll like come back. And then I it just, I, uh, I just, I just lost it again. But um, I really do. I really do miss the writing. And honestly, like even when I did that story, being able to like talk to some of the people that I used to talk to all the time or like DMs or whatever, it was like so lovely. Like it was such a nice reminder that like, Instagram does serve like such a great purpose in some ways you know and like I I think it's just it's just the I think some of the negative stuff was became so overpowering to me that it's I don't know if I'm at the place where I would like know how to engage with it on a personal level like in a healthy way um but I would love to come back someday I'm just gonna keep it there (laughs) also a
1: little bit it's kind of hard because like we are like so far into recovery that we're not having like all of those like novel like clarity moments and like interactions we're not like going to therapy and learning about our trauma for the first time (laughs) like so we can't like share about
0: that on instagram because you move forward yeah we've done it like years ago yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy to think like this thing still feels like it was yesterday. It's like wild to be like, no, that was literally five years ago. 2015, right? like it's fucking nuts. Anyway. um, But it's, uh, it's literally five years ago. It's ridiculous. Um, uh, But no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I actually talked about this in therapy a couple months ago Um, because I remember I was going through, I was like, yeah, I, I was going through something and I remember being like, I just like, I miss it. I miss like being able to write and I miss like having that outlet in those connections or whatever. And what my therapist said to me, she was like, well, what if you found a way to go back to it and, and made it something different, you know, like, like moved it forward. Like if you, if you've, if you've moved forward in your life and you're, there's never going to like, life is rich of things to discuss, you know? Um, and I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't know if Instagram is very welcoming to that idea, not in terms of the community, but Instagram itself is a platform that kind of like benefits off of like archetypes and prototypes and whatever. Um, I don't actually think it's like a, like a, place for like the multiplicity of opinions and expressions you know what I mean like no um but I I think I think the challenge is like and I think that was sort of the pressure that I felt with it at the end was like I did feel like I couldn't really evolve you know what I mean like I couldn't really there was less space for talking about things that weren't about pain and weren't about recovery And because of that, it kept me talking about those things when, like, psychologically, I was ready to talk about other things, you know?
1: I feel like, though, like, when I try and branch out and talk about something that's not directly, like, activist or recovery-related, like, it doesn't get as many likes. That's what I mean. You're not rewarded, right? So I think that that's a hard thing. But, like, is that a problem on, like, our end that, like, we have to do it and we have to get, like, confirmed with likes in order to believe that that content is, like...
0: No, important. I don't, I don't think so at all. But I do think that it requires, I mean, I, 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 as somebody who will fully cop that, like, when I was in the beginning of this experience, of course, like, being able to reach so many people and get as much validation as big accounts get, like, is intoxicating to almost like it replaced the feeling of being thin. You know what I mean? yeah. Oh, yeah. And, right? oh, yeah. So, Sure, you replace that with something else, right? Like you were saying, like Instagram replaces the coping mechanism of food, you know? And in, in, in some ways, being an influencer replaces the power of being thin, you know? And so, um, yeah, I, I, of course I think it's okay to to branch out and talk about other things. I just think it's about like being in a healthy enough place where you don't need you – you're talking about things for you and not for um, some sort of like emotional – need you know what I mean which I I don't know if I was there you know I feel you so okay
1: well (laughs) I feel like I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever and that like we could just keep talking oh this was delicious (laughs) um, I'm gonna reel it in I'm gonna reel it in all right all right all right all right so I want to ask you in the past week what has been a high high moment for you and a low low moment
0: a high, high, and a low, low. Um, all right, I'll start with the low so we can end on the high. Okay. All right. Uh, the low, it's a little dark, but I feel like we're in the good company we, of friends. We can go there. All right, we'll go there. Uh, so Mother's Day is Sunday, which I forgot ooh, about. Ooh, yeah. Let's ooh. go into Mother's Day. What's wrong? Because we both have, like, mother <laughs> issues. It's mom shit. Yeah, exactly. God. Yes. Ugh. So, it's interesting, I like you know it's it's, it's not like something... to send a card by the way yeah <laughs> it's it's just too it. it's like you know, but i it's it's something that I mean obviously happens every year, and every year there's always this like weird feeling of guilt and emotional pull I have mm-hmm. like do I reach out whatever, and um, you know, you always feel like the terrible daughter, and it's just it's just one of those things that I think has been like tugging at me for the past couple of weeks where especially like in this weird quarantine time like it's just been odd, you know, I, and I think if you have experience kind of with toxic family members who like will leverage, (laughs) uh, I got it. Emotionally charged situations, uh, to manipulate is daily. Daily. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You, you get it girl. Um, you know, so it's, it's sort of one of those things that mother's day always represents where, you know, if I reach out, it will invite the cycle of insanity that always ensues if i don't Mm -hmm. reach out then i'm the you know ungrateful daughter whatever (laughs)
1: exactly and i think like for me at least like because i'm adopted by my grandmother Mm. and that makes my birth mother my sister as well as my mother Mm. like god forbid i give do something for my grandmother but not her Oof. like like you gotta do both even though i don't want to send my birth mother a card right which Ooh. i won't be because i've forgotten too um <laughs> but like it's just like you can't win and like you just get shamed if you do yeah. the wrong thing either way
0: yeah it's uh it's interesting it's i mean it, and it seems like such a cliche but it is always one of those days where it's hard right like it's i mean i'm i'm fortunate that i have such a close relationship with my dad and i know that i'm lucky to have that relationship but um it's it's always a weird thing where whenever I see people like talking about Mother's Day or just like see, I mean, I know every parent-child relationship comes with its own complexities and hardships. Like nothing is as perfect as it seems, but it is always one of those things where it's like, why can't I just... Make it right. Why can't we just make it right? You know, and you right. like you get the blinders on for a second where you're like, should we just try this one more time? And it never oh. works, you know? But like, oh. but uh yeah, I it's wish so, someone like, would tell my inner child that it doesn't get better. It, do- it doesn't get better. I, I wish I wish it does, honestly, I think that's been like one of the biggest things that I still like struggle with is just like letting go of it, it it's because the thing is like I don't even need to like label somebody. A negative force in my life as a toxic person, but the relationship is toxic. You know what I mean? And yes. like accepting that it's very difficult to make toxic relationships not toxic, you know, in a in a yes. way that is not going to consume your life. And it's okay to even if it's somebody that you're related to, to just be like, this is just not healthy. As much as we both wish, and I believe that the intention is there for a good relationship, there's something in our chemical mix-up that just doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um that's okay. It doesn't make you a bad daughter, you know what I mean? It doesn't make you a bad mother. Like it just is. Um right. so that's probably the low low, but the high high uh go is <laughs> uh so I recently moved apartments. Uh, I moved apartments last week. So I'm like nesting, which is quite nice. I'm like I'm still in the process of nesting. I have all my my furniture set up, but um, I get to like. And buy it looks all my awesome. I mean, things, you babe. you
1: have like a knack for putting together beautiful apartments. But.
0: I just I tell you, it's IKEA. That IKEA
1: furniture. I mean, it is
0: IKEA. Like <laughs> I'm sitting here with IKEA right now. I love <laughs> IKEA. I wish I could go there. Honestly, it's like the hardest part of quarantine during a mo- like moving during a quarantine is like not being able to go to IKEA and just like walk through those aisles. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love like, it. Like if but, I um, um, want to go
1: to IKEA, I have to drive like three and a half hours. Oh, so like it is a commitment
0: yeah that's a commitment see there's one like right down the block from me now so which is really quite nice Ugh, but they're I'm, jealous. They're I'm jealous they're but um but yeah just like nesting and I think being able to just like be in a new space especially during this like re- crazy crazy time uh is just like quite a gift so that's the high high
1: Alrighty. righty so I guess tell our listeners where they can find you and Shit. anything about you that you want to share? Uh,
0: I mean, I can't promise that I'm active, but you you can find me at Recovery Brain Food on uh, Instagram. Um, and yeah, I think I'll be back there someday. So say hi. I'll, I'll say hi back. Um, and yeah, I think that's the place. <laughs>
1: awesome. Awesome. So I just want to say thank you for speaking with me. It's been great. I have missed you so much in my I life. I missed
0: you, girl. <laughs>
1: And it's just been great getting to know more about you and your impact on the world and your work. Thank you for having me. This is such a joy. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you again to Claire for telling us her story and for being here today. And thank you to all of you listening to the show at home. I hope it was an impactful part of your week. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app, you can be notified about our next episodes. If you want to tell us your thoughts about this episode and the podcast in general, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at bodytraumapod at gmail.com. And I would so greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to be seen by more people. As always, I'm Nia Patterson, and this is Body Trauma. See you next time.